This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours of general great music and good humour on The Breakfast Buffet. Brian will be gracing your screens this Sunday evening and no, he wasn't wearing a tux this morning. So, on the bottom line between now and 10 o'clock, Michael O'Boyle, Chief Executive of Cycling Solutions Ireland, will tell us about his mission to make business and society more cycle-friendly and in the process unlock the huge potential of new ways of thinking about this hugely popular and environmentally friendly mode of transport. And with business at last eyeing a post-lockdown future and for the first time in almost two years operating without constant restrictions, we'll talk to Neil Macdonald, CEO of ISME, the representative organisation for small and medium-sized enterprises. But first, joining me on the line for the first time in 2022 is economist Jim Perry. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, John. How are you doing? Happy New Year to you and your listeners. Same to you, Jim. Now, we last spoke in December and uh, we've been into and out of restrictions since then until finally last Friday virtually all restrictions were lifted as Tommy Cooper would say just like that Uh, it's been quite a month January what's your take on it all? Yeah it it has been quite extraordinary Um, the announcement last week of the imminent removal of most restrictions you know came a little bit of a bolt out of the blue in a sense given the case numbers and so on uh, but clearly the people who make these decisions um, you know are convinced at this juncture at least that what's happening on the COVID front actually is relatively benign at the moment and hence the decision uh, the big bang approach and um, I think it was to be welcome to be honest uh, I thought the decision to force the hospitality sector to shut down at 8 o'clock didn't make a lot of sense anyway so I'm glad to see that sanitary has prevailed and that you know business is starting to resume again and um, if you compare ourselves today with where we were this time last year I mean we were at the beginning of basically five or six months of significant restriction so you'd have to say things are a hell of a lot more upbeat and optimistic today um, so that, that's good news and I think definitely um, for what is normally a very dreary month for most people, January, at least there is quite a bit of light on the horizon at the moment. So um, I'm very definitely uh, a glass half full type of person at the moment, which is good. Mm. Uh, Now on Friday, uh, retail sales data was released. Retail, of course, always uh, October, November, December, hugely important months. Uh, Last year, in the distance now but uh, blighted by COVID but how did retail sales do according to this data? Well in in December um, the value of sales was 3.7% up on a year earlier Um, and that's reasonably good but the interesting thing was that the volume of sales that is the physical you know, the, 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 the amount of goods sold was down by 2.2%. And indeed, for last year as a whole, we now know that the value of sales um, increased by 11.7% and the volume by 8.8%. This actually is significant in the sense that over recent years, the growth in the volume was always stronger than the growth in value. And what that implied was that businesses were having to basically discount prices to shift product 
and you know you may be shifting the volume but um, that wasn't being reflected necessarily in monetary receipts okay so that has significant implications for um, managing costs and managing margins but what we saw last year in 2021 um, and indeed in the month of December this was very clear as well the value growth was much stronger than the volume growth and what that reflects is uh, what has become the phenomenon of the last six months inflation is back you know prices of most things are now increasing significantly so for the retail sector that's obviously better news in the sense that at least they now have some pricing power um, in the system obviously from the consumer's perspective um, with inflation currently running at five and a half percent it is a problem mm. but I, but I, I do think that is um, a, a ray of hope for the retail sector actually that they're now managing to deliver decent growth in the value of what they're selling. Yeah, now uh, we had the governor of the central bank on uh, with us last week uh, and he seemed to me pretty sanguine about inflation, saying that they saw it hovering around 2% for the year. Do you think, uh, what do you think of his his judgment on that? Well, um, as I said, in the last six months, inflation has been the topic that has dominated economic and financial discourse. You know, we've seen headline inflation in the United States hit 7%, uh, which is the highest in 30 years. Irish inflation at 5.5%, which is the highest since April 2001. Um, Eurozone inflation at 5%, which is the highest level of inflation since the euro was introduced in 1999. So we're looking at really, really high rates of inflation at the moment. And um, this has been building over the last six months. And it's due to a few factors. You know, we've seen oil and natural gas prices rise dramatically in the last 12 months. That's having a huge impact. But we're also seeing um, a lot of repressed demand is coming back as COVID restrictions are lifted here in Ireland and indeed around the world. So you're getting strong demand. And unfortunately, during COVID, the production of many goods was halted or slowed significantly. So there was a supply problem. So if you have very strong demand meeting limited supply, uh, prices are only going to go in one direction. And it's interesting to see how central banks are reacting to this. Um, Initially, all central bankers were saying last October that this this is a COVID-related transition or transitory period of inflation and that early in 2022 you will start to see those price pressures um, dissipate from the system. So they believed it was a temporary thing related to COVID. However, this definition of transitory is now being lengthened. Um, it's, it, it, it keeps going. You know, prices continue to increase strongly. And the Bank of England increased interest rates in December. It's likely to increase interest rates again in February. The Federal Reserve in the United States announced earlier this week that it was going to tighten interest rates in March. So the Bank of England and the Federal Reserve are definitely taking the view that inflation is now a bigger issue than they previously believed and they're going to react accordingly. Europe and the European Central Bank and Gabriel Malouf, the Governor of the Central Bank of Ireland, um, you know, who's a member of the ECB uh, board, he he expressed the view, and, and this 
this is exactly what Philip Lane, the Irish chief economist in the ECB, has been saying in recent weeks as well, that the ECB believes that this is temporary, that these price pressures will dissipate as 2022 um, moves on. And the ECB is making it very clear that they will not increase interest rates this year. Um, I think there's a danger that the European Central Bank is a little bit behind the curve. Um, Inflation is starting to become embedded in the system. And if it is, central bankers will have to react. So I I, I think the ECB is possibly, I can't say definitely because who knows, but it's possibly too relaxed at the moment. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if we were to see by the end of this year um, a modest tightening of European interest rates, which then would continue into 2023. Um, And given that, you know, we've, we've, we've come through a period of historically low interest rates as a result of COVID, this would represent a marked change. And I guess one piece of advice out there for people who, and and listen, you can never be certain in forecasting where central banks are going to go or interest rates um, or indeed most economic variables. But for people who might be worried that interest rates are going to rise over the next couple of years, be it a personal borrower, mortgage, business, um, it might be worth talking to your financial institution just to see what sort of interest rates they would offer on um, fixed loans at this point. Yeah, so cautious. Yeah, indeed. Um, I remember listening to a recent podcast uh, with yourself and Chris Johns, and Chris Johns was making the point, and you kind of referred to it there, that uh, (laughs) inflation is a bit of an inexact science, really, uh, and it's very difficult to predict. Why is that? Well, you see, there, there are just, and, and, and in fact, anybody who believes economists can predict the future are mad. You know, nobody can predict the future. And if we could, I wouldn't be sitting here with you doing this interview. Well, I might be, but I'd be doing it from um, some exotic overseas location beside a swimming pool. Um, <laughs> Watford. Forecasting, indeed. Forecasting the future is really difficult. And if, if you look at what's happening on the inflation front at the moment, you know, over the last couple of years, we've had this unprecedented shock from COVID that has had all sorts of impacts. You know, we've seen ports in China being shut down for weeks on end because of COVID. Uh, We've seen, you know, there's a massive shortage of semiconductors, which is having a huge impact on the supply of new cars. Uh, We now have the Russian-Ukrainian situation, which poses a huge threat to the flow of natural gas into Europe. That's been reflected in higher prices. You see, in the world of economics, as well as all these economic factors, we have political factors, we have epidemiological factors, we have social factors. All of this stuff feeds into the mix. So it's very, very difficult at the best of times to try and predict inflation. And indeed, we're not in the best of times at the moment. You know, it's a very unusual situation. So one, uh, and, and this is reflected in what central bankers are saying and the different messages we're getting, getting from different central bankers. They basically haven't a clue either as to where inflation is going to go. So centra- it, it is an inexact science. And that's why I say that if you are an individual that's heavily borrowed and you fear higher in its um, consider the notion of locking in your loan for a prolonged period of time because um, at least and, and long term 
fixed rates are pretty low at the moment relative to history. Uh, but also the great thing about fixing a loan is that it, it's an insurance. It enables you to sleep at night, you know. Absolutely good advice. But in a word, a lot of uncertainty out there, but you're feeling reasonably uh, positive as we get to the end of the first month of 2022. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, there's, there's a lot of momentum in the Irish economy at the moment and the removal of the restrictions last weekend obviously feeds into that. Uh, the exchequer finances are flying, you know, tax revenues are coming in in pretty dramatic fashion. So most of the momentum in the Irish economy is very, very positive at the moment. Um, the things that worry me at the moment are politics, geopolitics rather than anything domestic. And you look at the Russia-Ukraine situation, you look at the midterm elections in the United States in November, which could see the reemergence of Trump, um, the French presidential elections in April. Uh, you have serious um, problems in China at the moment. So there's a lot of stuff globally that you'd be worried about at the moment. But but domestically, you know, Ireland um, is set up for, I think, a decent year of economic activity. And, and the great thing, I think, is that those sectors that have been subject to restrictions over the last couple of years, hopefully, will now get a chance to actually um, enjoy a bit of growth um, and a bit of prosperity over the next 12 months. And by God, they need it because you look at the hospitality sector, you know, the pubs, the hotels, the restaurants, they've had a rough time. Mm, well, look, Jim, great talking to you and it's good to hear you've been uh, positive and upbeat and onwards and upwards. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you very much, John. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.onf.ie. You're very welcome back. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning now. I'm joined on the line by Neil MacDonald, who's Chief Executive of ISME, the Irish Small and Medium-Sized Enterprise uh, Organisation. Neil, uh, how are you this morning? Uh, no, very well this morning and good morning to you and your listeners, John. Thank you, Neil. Um, just before we get into the specifics around the whole uh, remote working bill, which uh, has been in the news during the past week, how are your members finding uh, the economic outlook at the start of 2022? Uh, I, I, I think uh, particularly in view of the surprise uh, change on, on uh, COVID controls last week, the outlook is very upbeat. Uh the, the outlook both for the, the multinational economy and the domestic economy uh, is is good. It's optimistic, uh, but we would say it is tempered by the fact that uh, the supports that have kept a lot of businesses afloat for the last 22 months are going to taper quite quickly. We know they have to taper quickly when we're not suggesting that they don't, um, but that is going to mean that we are going to see quite a dynamic uh, business environment over the next one or two quarters uh, and we do expect to see quite a significant number of insolvencies within that period. Yeah, and that's the the tough washing out of of everything and and warehousing of revenue debt over the last two years has been a, a big thing that's not getting a huge amount of commentary, but it's going to put pressure on people to have to pay their taxes. Yes, it is. Um, Now, a lot of businesses that have managed to continue to trade have been 
pay, slowly paying down their warehousing for no reason other than that uh, that the revenue will uh, be levying a three percent interest on next year. Now that they've moved that out from January uh, to March, as we understand. Um, so, so the warehousing, uh, the businesses that can afford uh, to, to reduce that warehousing are, are doing so, or a lot of them are doing so. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, a lot of businesses, and particularly in you know restaurants, pubs, uh, some other hospitality businesses, hotels have managed to trade to a certain extent, but entertainment and conferencing businesses have effectively uh, been been close to 100% shuttered for that period. So the tax liabilities that they have warehoused, I think there's a genuine issue as to where, whether they can be repaid. Um, I think the government... Uh, will, or sorry, the revenue will have to decide uh, over the next uh, year or so um, whether the, the pursuit of that money is actually going to cause even larger numbers of, of companies to fall into insolvency. Yeah, that'll be an interesting one. I, I'm constantly amazed by the contribution uh, of SMEs to the economy. Can you remind us? I was looking at some figures lately uh, and I was really quite overwhelmed by the, the share of business contributed by small business? Yes. Uh, SMEs um, in, in all tax heads, I suppose we hear an awful lot about corporation tax uh, and of course Ireland's uh, corporation tax take or, or yield as they call it because we have uh, a moderate rate. We don't have the lowest rate in Europe uh, despite the fact that a lot of people think we do. I think we're the third lowest rate in Europe um, but because we have a fair and transparent and explicit uh, taxation system uh, and we also have a lot of not brass plates but real uh, multinationals, bricks and mortar multinationals located in the country, we have a very substantial um, corporation tax take that, that may when we do the, 20, uh, the 2021 figures they're, they're vying with VAT now, they're very very significant. Um, but in all other tax heads, the interesting thing is that the the SME sector uh, produces at least 55% of uh, taxation volume, whether that is in uh, PAYE or PRSI or USC or VAT. Um, so t- despite the fact that there are, you know, and of course there are many, many more SMEs than there are uh, big companies, more than 99% of the business democracy, are SMEs, but but the fact is that the uh, the exchequer is overwhelmingly uh, dependent on its SME base. I think, to a certain extent, the state and the exchequer overlooked that base for a long time because no one foresaw anything that would uh, deeply affect uh, all of the SME base at the one time. But we did see that in pandemic in 2020, uh, while the multinational base expanded and GDP went up in 2020, like economies around the world, our domestic economy shrank by about 7% in 2020. Uh, now it did uh, expand, it looks like uh, the, the figures uh, for 2021 will, will show both the, the domestic and the multinational economy expanding. But, you know, it's, it's our view that the government does not 
perhaps because the foreign multinationals have been, uh, you know, the golden goose of corporation tax and very high wages. But in our view, there has been a certain neglect of the domestic enterprise sector. Now, you mentioned there bricks and mortar uh, companies and bricks and mortar multinationals, multinationals, small companies, medium sized companies, all sorts of companies had to migrate to remote working over the last two years. That's kind of coming to an end now with the phased return to work and the government uh, brought their right to request remote work bill uh, to the fore during the past week. What's your view on it? Well, um, I, I think the the schema announced by the government is is probably going to uh, annoy both sides of the economy, both, both workers and employers. But usually um, when you come up with a piece of legislation that, that uh, annoys both parties equally, you're, you're probably in the right, you know, in the, in the right middle ground. Um, employees have the right to ask and, and employers have 13 uh, grounds to refuse. Um, we, we believe that we are going to see from from the 1st of March onwards uh, a return largely to blended working because we do know that a great many workers have been able to successfully work remotely or work from home um, for the last 22 months. And I think it suits both a lot of employers and employees that we don't have too much change for that. Now, there are sectors that have deep reservations about that. But in our belief, um, most sectors will be able to continue to work flexibly. And this will set out a right for employees to, to ask to work from home. Uh, but, we, but we think, uh, especially in the SME sector, because it's a, it's a far more flexible sector to work in than, than big business, uh, we think we are going to see established patterns, especially of blended, blended or hybrid working. We're, we're going to see patterns of that emerging uh, in the future. Are there any aspects of the bill that you're uh, particularly worried about or any aspects indeed of long-term remote working that you're particularly worried about? I think the areas that have not been resolved simply because people worked on a, on a force majeure basis, it wasn't anyone's choice to work from home over the last two years. The, the government shuttered offices and businesses uh, and effectively all of our essential manufacturing or, or pharma or, or construction, you know, office, offices in the main have been obliged to shut. So to a certain extent, a blind eye has been turned to issues that have never actually gone away, like the Safety, Health and Welfare at Work Act. Um, it, it does actually apply to the workplace and the workspace, even if that workspace is in your home mm. or in your apartment. Um, now, the HSA, uh, you know, has been very positive and working with employers uh, for the duration of the pandemic. But I, I think we are likely to see... Um, it, it is likely that the HSA is going to insist that you know where there are, uh, where there is permanent working from home or blended working arrangements that that the uh, that the workspace for for the workers is up to standard and is consistent with the Safety, Health, and Welfare Work Act, uh, and it is likely that that's going to happen. I would have thought 
from from the point that the right to arrest uh, bill becomes enacted, it logically would from then. And, and also, the other thing that hasn't quite caught up yet because of the speed of the, of the announcements made last week is um, we haven't uh, amended the work safety protocol to take account of uh, the fact that th- there will be permanent or semi-permanent uh, working from home or blended working solutions so so those areas will need to be addressed or otherwise employers are going to be a bit concerned about it. Well all to be teased out in the coming weeks and months no doubt. Neil MacDonald Chief Executive of Vizme, thanks for joining us on The Bottom Line. Thanks very much John. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.onf.ie. You're very welcome back. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Now, to even the most casual observer, cycling in Ireland has experienced something of a renaissance in recent years. For business, the Bike to Work scheme has provided a good value and cost-effective way for employees to abandon the car and get on their bikes. They're finding that cycling is very healthy and a great great for the environment, but really getting a bike is just the beginning and growth in the use of the bicycle provides opportunities but also challenges and likely requires new ways of thinking. So in the context of tackling the climate crisis, which is something all businesses must get to grips with, cycling also offers potential for business, for tourism and for lots of good stuff. Just look at the Waterford Greenway, for example, and how that's led to something of a rejuvenation for uh, the economy of the Dungarvan area. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Michael O'Boyle, who's Chief Executive of Cycling Solutions and the organisation responsible for helping businesses embrace cycling. Michael, you're very welcome to the bottom line. Thanks, John. Um, just tell me, Michael, uh, cycling has it experienced as big a growth as I've been describing there? It has, yeah. I, I suppose you mentioned down in your opening uh, sentence there about uh, the bike to work scheme. Uh, the bike to work scheme was was the first phase of the project that I'm on, uh, cycle friendly employer, and it uh, from the outset was hugely successful, and then scaled up massively again uh, during the COVID period. And you've probably seen many news clips uh, about the supply chain on bicycles across Europe just coming to a standstill because the demand was massive. So yes, the demand continues to be massive in the bike to work scheme. And uh, yeah, we're seeing it. Uh, we, you know, I, I sit on the steering committee in Europe, so we're seeing. I see the data coming in on on the on the volume of bikes, the sales, the type of bikes. You know, whether it's your regular bike, you're you're beginning to see huge uh, uptake in in the e-bike, and also now you're beginning to see the uh, you know the cargo bikes coming in, uh, and uh, as an initiative for small businesses who want to do that sort of five or six k commute. Yeah, and so your organisation, as I understand it, is kind of charged with bringing us beyond just the simple use of A to B with bikes, but you're looking at the whole big picture of developing cycling uh, and and specifically in businesses. Yeah, I uh, I suppose I head up a European project um, that is is designed to uh, work with employers on their active and sustainable uh, travel strategies for their employees. So the I suppose the 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 top line statement from our, our side would be that we we 
help employers to create the European standard for cycle friendliness in the workplace. And so we, 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 we work with employers to create that experience for uh, employees who commute to the workplace. And, uh, you know, we see the evidence that if the workplace uh, embraces these uh, these these standards, these European standards, well, then we we see the uh, the positive side in terms of the uh, employees taken uh, activating that uh, initiative. And so what should employers be uh, thinking of doing if they want to reach the European standard or good practice in terms of helping people cycle? Yeah, um, well, it's there. It's a European framework, so it's it's uh, it's a model we we use uh, for all our em- employee workplaces. So you know, one there are six uh, categories in it. So we look at uh, the infrastructure that they would have on site. We look at how they communicate cycle-related uh, initiatives. We look at you know uh, bike maintenance facilities that they'd have on site, um, and we also look at uh, how they. Uh, how they manage when customers visit the site you know are they are they are they promoting the fact that they're a cycle friendly workplace so therefore if if i'm traveling to the site whether it's you know planning or consulting or an engineer or something like that who's who's looking to visit the site uh who wants to arrive in the bike they need to understand that there's you know secure bike parking there there's a bike workstation and so forth so these these uh, this framework is designed to uh help employers to achieve that european standard of cycle friendliness at the workplace and it does uh, require a bit of a change in thinking i regularly and reasonably regularly cycle in uh, to work here in KCLR but I just kind of just casually just chain it to anything that's in the area but that kind of thinking isn't going to really wash it into the future for to achieve the big changes that we need to do. No, not really because, you know, people now <coughs> if you look at the workplace, people are, are turning up, you know, they're jogging, they're walking they're coming on their e-scooter, they're coming on the e-bike the regular bike uh, you know, the car, so now the, the workplace has to facilitate all these uh, you know, commute uh, methods. So, uh, if you we we look at it specifically for the bicycle uh, commute. So, yeah, you know, people have you know they have an expensive bike. They want to recharge their battery. They want to leave it there overnight. They might want to leave it there for a few nights. You know, so is it secure? Is there CCTV? Is it a place that I'm comfortable leaving my you know pretty mm. expensive bike? So yeah, we, so we look at these, but it, it's 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 you know employers really. Uh, you know, our our reaction, or the reaction we get from employers, is two two things. One is they didn't realise that there's a European standard in cycle friendliness, and and the second reaction we're getting is that they're delighted that there's mm. a framework that they can step back from this. Yeah, looking beyond individual employers, I know that you work as well with business groups and communities and so on. What kind of work are you doing there, and how can that help unlock sort of economic activity and positive activity for for groups and communities? Yeah. Um, well, I suppose there'll be one project uh, that's actually going to launch in the next uh, two weeks. I think it's t- uh, sorry, three weeks, 24th of uh, February. So we've been working with uh, a public-private partnership in Mayo. Uh, so it's a collaboration between Mayo County Council, uh, uh, Westport Chamber of Commerce and Destination Westport. And they're looking to make that uh, Westport as a, the first Ireland's first cycle-friendly destination. But the three stakeholders have, have three different sort of wish lists on it. The uh, Mayo County Council are looking at it across the region uh, in terms of cycle-friendliness. Friendly, uh, 
the Westport Chamber of Commerce are looking to enhance the deliverability and workability of, of Westport and, and make it more attractive for people to go there and set up as a base. And employers have really come on to the project because they, they see that this is an opportunity to retain talent and attract talents as all that. Uh, yeah, thinking behind it, and then Destination Westport are uh, you know a standalone body who look at everything based on how do we make this destination more attractive and increase our offering. And now we're beginning to see, you know, people, you know, you see the the travel trends for 2022, and you know, out of the 10 top travel trends, you know, there there's active tourism, the sustainable tourism, tourism. So Westport have have identified this as as an area that they they need to embrace. So um. Basically, new ways of thinking required, but new ways of thinking can unlock a lot of business potential for individual businesses, for for groups and organisations. Presumably, you're interested in hearing from communities and will work with communities, business groups and so on in order to help them along this uh, journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we find that the best um, success uh, in this project is that is actually sort of when when communities or business interest groups get together and actually say, yeah, we're we're going to look at this uh, as a joint initiative. And uh, you know, we're, we're starting one in in um, Sandyford Business District in in uh, on the fifth of February. Where they're looking to become the first uh, active sustainable travel business district in Ireland, so they're they're looking to take on uh, 30 companies. Um, yeah, sorry, this is a business district with you know 27,000 employees when they're actually fully active and up to 1,000 uh, companies. So they're we're starting there with cycle friendly employer with 30 companies for Q1, Q, and then moving out each each month with 30 new employers. You know. Yeah. Well, um, if people out there are interested in finding out more whether they're community representatives businesses uh, or just interested people how do they get in touch with you yeah well uh, our website is uh, cycling solutions ireland uh, ie and all the detail are there all the detail is there we have our self-evaluation is there so people can view that and get a get an insight to what a, a cycle friendly workplace would look like and certainly you know if there are employers out there in kilkenny we feel kilkenny is, is just a, you know brilliant look at this type of initiative there's some many businesses you know within two three k of the city center and that's a really critical component to to the success of this where people just want to instead of using the car they use a bike and uh, so you can get us on cycling solutions ireland.ie oh michael well thank you very much so if you're a business out there in kilkenny or carlo contact uh, michael o'boyle michael thanks for joining us this morning that was michael o'boyle who's chief executive of cycling solutions ireland the Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie Now it's just uh, 14 minutes away from 10 o'clock. John Purcell with you on The Bottom Line. Joining me on the phone is John Hurley, Chief Executive of Kilkenny Chamber. Good morning, John. Good morning, John, and thanks very much for having me on the show this morning. Pleasure. Now, last week, uh, really good news for business with the rather uh, surprising news that uh, all the restrictions virtually were being lifted. Uh, good news for Kilkenny businesses. 
Yeah, it's fantastic news. We've been waiting for this for some time now. Uh, and as you know, uh, we had engaged prior to Christmas or in the lead up October, November time uh, before we were all shut down uh, in our annual business awards program, which was where we go out and find the, the best in all different sectors uh, and engage with them, uh, have a competition and see who is the best. And we have those decisions made. It's in a sealed envelope and has been in a safe for the past number of weeks waiting for this opportunity now where we can come together and actually hold an event, make the announcements and celebrate successful businesses in Kilkenny. And that's good news. You marched up to the top of the hill, as they would say a few times on it, and then you had to march back down again because of restrictions. But uh, confidence in business, or is there confidence in business uh, that this we've turned a corner and we can turn our back on, on restrictions? Well, certainly it's a, an ever-evolving situation and we have had uh, relaxations and reopenings following restrictions before. But uh, certainly the horizon looks different this time. Uh, it looks like we have things under more control than ever before. So we're very optimistic, I think, that um, uh, we're, we're in this for uh, the long haul and that we'll get a good opportunity now to get back to what used to be some form of normality. Um, and certainly uh, having a big event where people can come together, we're sociable uh, creatures as human beings. We need to network. We need to engage with each other. And that's what the Kilkenny Business Awards does in spades, where we have a number of hundreds of people at the Lyrat Estate Hotel uh, celebrating success and seeing who's good, who's doing what, who's there on the night uh, and engaging with each other. Very important uh, thing to do and long overdue. John, stay with us. We'll be back uh, in a couple of minutes to discuss more about the forthcoming Kilkenny Business Awards and also get John Hurley's uh, prognosis and what are the business issues facing his members in the year ahead. Don't go away. KCLR. Proud to be local. Indeed we are and it's just uh, 10 minutes away from 10 o'clock. John Purcell with you on the bottom line. I'm joined on the line by John Hurley who's Chief Executive of uh, Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce and Industry. John, we were talking before the break about the welcome news uh, that the Kilkenny Business Awards are taking place on Saturday, March 12th, 2022. Only really around the corner. Uh, if people are interested uh, get looking for tickets now I would imagine because uh, you had a a huge amount of tickets sold already, so not that many left, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. We had a very uh, positive response in the lead-up to it in November before the, the the restrictions hit us at that time. So, yeah, people should start engaging straight away, get uh, in touch with us online or ring our office. Um, we had a, a large number of tickets booked, uh, and indeed many paid for, um, and they're all still in place. So uh, there's not that huge number uh, left. So, yes, I would encourage people to, to get on to us as quickly as possible. It's going to be a fantastic event on the 12th of March. Yeah, huge appetite for uh, a night out. But what's the appetite like and how are people feeling about the business environment as we head into 2022? We talked at the top of the programme to Jim Power. He was kind of worried about uh, inflation. But overall, he was very uh, optimistic and upbeat. Is that shared by your members? Oh yeah, definitely. There is a very strong uh, upbeat and optimistic sort of um, vibe going through the business community generally. Um, but but people are realistic. We've been, you know, knocked back before. <clears throat> but as I said just before the break, uh, the horizon is looking much more positive this time. We're in a very different place. Uh, right now, a lot of our members are talking a lot about and are concerned about uh, the ever-increasing costs. 
uh, and indeed Jim Power led to many of what those were and why they're happening and so on. Um, so going forward, th- those kind of cost levels are going to be a major challenge for a lot of our businesses uh, to keep paying them and, and sustaining them. So like, <clears throat> what we really need to have there is an awareness amongst all parties, you know, employers, employees, uh, government and, and uh, the general public who are buying things and so on, is to support local uh, and to be mindful of others' perspectives and others' positions because it's not clear, um, you know, exactly what's going to happen next uh, for anybody. And we are, we're at, we are all in this together and if we support each other, uh, it can give the best possible outcome. Yeah, um, the news of the lifting of restrictions very welcome but a lot of surveys shown that many people are still cautious um i presume uh, you know i know of many businesses that are still uh, maintaining mask wearing in place and so on although they're not necessarily um required to do so by the by the restrictions government restrictions how, how do you find your members are are treating the the nuts and bolts of lifting restrictions in the workplace well, that's a very good point, really, because it it is a different experience for different people in different um, in different spaces. Uh, and I think you know we've been through quite an arduous and long time. It's been two years uh, of this, and it has played with people's minds and psychology. Uh, and different people are bouncing back at different levels. So I think the key thing there is to be um, aware of the fact that how I feel is not necessarily how you or anybody else feels about this whole dynamic. So let's give each other space and take time. We have found that following uh, previous easings of restrictions, it has taken something in the, the order of four to six weeks for the general population to embrace the new freedoms, whatever they may have been in the past. So it's likely to take, uh, you know, some people in our society, and they're fully entitled to move at their pace. It's likely to take them a bit longer, perhaps, than others who have already embraced the opportunity to go to the pub and go out and, and, and so on and so forth. So let's let's be mindful of each other, I think, and supportive of each other's positions. Uh, that would be very much a message as we learn and evolve through this uh, together. Yeah, now looking back over the last two years, there was, I'd say, never a time when the government announced so many business support measures, changes, stuff impacting businesses. Uh, presumably it's been a busy time for chambers lobbying and interacting with government departments and so on. Tell us Absolutely. about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We have never done as much lobbying as we have done in the last two years. And that's really what um, a business representative organization like the Chamber of Commerce is all about, is that when businesses need representation, which is all the time, but particularly so when things are going particularly bad, like during a pandemic, that's when uh, they need representation. And we have been, Chambers of Commerce have been in and out of every government office uh, and meeting with every government official and minister consistently week on week, day in, day out for the last two years. And that's where the EWSS, the CRSS, the PUP, that's where they came from and the tweaks and changes to them. So we continue those conversations now uh, as there is the inevitable uh, conversations about tapering those supports. They have to come to an end at some stage uh, at different points and in different ways uh, for different sectors. Mm. And they're the kind of conversations that we'll be engaging in now. Finally, it's been some uh, two years for business. What are your abiding memories? Uh, I think the resilience uh, and the amazing um, ability for businesses to self-invent or reinvent themselves. Uh, and that's reflected as well in, in our business awards, where we have uh, a new um, 
category there called the Best Business Pivot in the Pandemic Award. And we wanted to hear stories of people who completely reinvented themselves, reassessed what was going on around them and what was needed and changed their business in a way that made it work for them and for their customers. So, you know, no matter what was thrown at the business community, and they came back with answers uh, robustly and soundly. And we have a strong Irish economy now still, despite the worst uh, pandemic that has hit the globe. Uh, in, in, in living memory near. indeed indeed and uh, congratulations John you're the first person to get in that word pivot this week it hasn't gone away you know and uh, people continually need to reinvent themselves thanks for joining us this morning John thank you John for having me that's uh, John Hurley who's Chief Executive of Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce and Industry and don't forget uh, you should book your tickets if you're interested in going along to the Kilkenny uh, Chamber Business Awards taking place in early March that's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line remember if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us you can email thebottomline at kclaurin96fm.com and don't forget about the podcast catch up with this show or any other show uh, by checking out The Bottom Line on the case CLR app where you'll find us and lots more great content from KCLR. Thanks to all our guests uh, on the programme this week. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show. Thanks to you most of all for listening. All going well and according to plan we'll be back next week just after the 9 o'clock news. In the meantime take care of yourself. Stay tuned to KCLR. Stay safe and keep the faith. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie